My name is Susie. I have three children, the youngest of whom struggles with anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation. I never thought this could happen to me, and I miss the signs. Being a parent is really hard, but I'm here to help. I'm talking to other parents and experts to help you with the struggles that your kids may face. I want you to know that you are not alone and there is hope. I'm not a physician, therapist, or counselor. I'm just a mom. I want to see you smile again, take away that pain in them clouds that keep covering up the sun. On this episode of the Just a Mom podcast, it is an incredible honor to have with me in the virtual Just a Mom studio, Mr. Wesley Hamilton. Hello, Wesley. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being with me. And Wesley Hamilton is a name that's familiar to a lot of people. Uh, He is a Kansas City native, and I'm going to let him tell us a little bit more about his story. But he has um, been very um, vocal about some of his personal struggles, and he has a foundation. He is a TV star. And again, it's pretty humbling for me to be able to, to have this conversation. So, Wesley, thank you again for being here. Oh, I am so honored, and I'm appreciative to be able to have another platform that Mm. I can share my story. You have the most infectious smile, by the way, and I noticed that when I watched your your episode, but we'll we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, Why don't you just start off by telling us a little bit about, you know, your background, your upbringing, your childhood, etc. Yeah, (laughs) um... First, I like to define my upbringing as being a product of my environment. Now, of course, I will elaborate on that, but um, just for those that are listening, I was defined by my circumstances. Um, I grew up in a single parent home. Um, I didn't have my father, but he was around. Um, and um, I think during just the adolescent stages of life, when I really needed a male figure, I didn't have it. And so I just became very resentful to the teachings that I was having at home um, with my mom. And um, I think the reality of, you know, growing up as a young black man in a inner city um, environment, you know, it's it's very debilitating and i think i was just going through those those things um i lacked self-esteem i didn't know that till later on in life after um things happened and i was in, able to view myself differently but um i created a negative mindset about that you know i didn't i didn't have a way to learn how to be myself in the environment that i came from And so I was always seeking to be like the person that maybe was older than me, but was doing something that I I felt was insightful. It might not have been the right thing, but it was definitely a direction. Um, And so I wouldn't consider myself a follower because I definitely believe I was a leader in my own pack, but I did follow those that was above me, that was influential. Um, I believed that I would be dead or in jail by 21. I never thought that I was going to, I didn't think 
I didn't believe that there was life after a certain age for black men. Mm. Everything projected on me and projected, you know, just within society made it seem like, you know, we were going to either be dead or in jail. So I was living hopeless and living reckless because of that mindset. Mm. And to our audience, I want to tell everyone that you grew up in Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm in a suburb of Kansas City, and it's about how you grew up about half an hour from where I live and where I'm sitting right now. And you're presently in Los Angeles, and so we're getting to do this virtually. But I think that it's such an, an interesting dichotomy how, um, you know, I can be 30 minutes away from where you grew up and and how it's basically two separate cities, right? Yeah, the tale of two cities. For sure. <laughs> and yes, I have, as I told you earlier, I've been involved with an inner city ministry in, in the neighborhood in which you grew up. And this is something that we hear over and over and over is exactly what you said. So that is not an uncommon um mindset for for young black men yeah so as you you know were in your teenage years and you were feeling this like i'm not going to make it to 21 you were living as you said recklessly um, talk about that what was that like um you know it's very important to have male figures in your life rather they're your father or a mentor i truly believe that because seeing someone do positive things or have a positive narrative on life can literally take you outside of your circumstances. Um, and for me, during these years that I was very resentful and needed direction, there was no one to lead me. Um, and uh, I always say like the, the, the biggest influencers, you know, the people that you wanted to be like were people in the streets, they were drug dealers, you know. Um, so that was that was the lifestyle I wanted to choose, you know, and I was fair. So the thing is, is like I was smart. So I know I haven't talked about school as much because I didn't care about it. Like mm -hmm. I was very smart and I would pass as many, you know, classes as I could when I cared about time. Um, and I always had the teacher tell me, hey, you know, you got you know, you got potential and all mm -hmm. of this. But what does potential look like coming from where I come from? Um, when you can't show me a reference of what that potential can get me. Um, and so for me, it was just like, okay, yeah, potential. All right, well, maybe I take my potential where I see other potential is happening. Um, and, uh, you know, by, by the grace of God, you know, that I was, I, was, I was good at what I did that didn't create me being in prison or anything, but... Um, I started at a young age, you know, I remember just running away from home about 13 or 14, um, you know, I, I kind of stayed with my fa real father around that time, but it wasn't a real connection. Um, and so I, I went back out, I dropped out of school in my sophomore year. Um, actually, I dropped out twice. I dropped out in eighth grade and um, I tried to go to Job Court in Utah. That was my first time seeing something different and ever getting out. Um, the issue was, was that I was surrounded by other people that were kind of, you know, hard heads like me. And so you put everyone together, it just wasn't the best, uh, 
And uh, unfortunately, I didn't do any better. I came back, went back to school. And then at this point, being a sophomore, um, you know, growing up at early 2000s, you just need money. You're tired of being poor. You're tired of not having anything. Um, it's, it's unfortunate for people that come from where I grew up to not be able to see life outside of their community, you mm. know, and and it's and it's sad because to me I was a product of that environment because I never even believed like and we'll probably go into conversations, but I never believed the life that I live now. And I definitely never believed the, the things that I've done in the places that I've been. Mm. Um and every time I go to certain places, I always think to myself, if more people saw this. You don't have to do nothing but allow them to experience this. It can shift your perspective on how you see life. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yes. Yeah, so, so because I didn't have any of that, I, I saw life as darkness and I tried my best to be dead or in jail. Mm-hmm. Either if I was going to go to jail, I was going to live like Scarface, if anyone knows that <laughs> reference. Um, and if mm-hmm. I was going to die, I was going to die trying to live like Scarface. Mm-hmm. I didn't know no other way. Right. Mm-hmm. Like in and nothing news media and representation never showed me positivity right like um just none of the movies i think most of the movies other people reference when they think about our community came from the same ones we Mm -hmm. watched that made us think about our community sure there was a pivotal event that happened in your life i believe you were 21 years old is that correct um I was 22, 22. Okay. when, um, if I'm, okay, I became a father. Okay. So hold up, let's go. Yeah, don't get too far you ahead. Know. Okay. <laughs> so. so at 22, I became a father. Um, I might have found out when I was 21, so it made me become a little bit more ambitious about life. Um, but not really. Um, but not really. Uh, but when I was 22 my daughter was born her name is Nevea. i got the name her it was heaven spelled backwards mm. maybe i had some hope um you know and um that relationship with her mom wasn't something that you know was uh to me was solid but at the same time i always wanted to be a, a better father than the one i had and i know i wasn't living right in life um but that didn't make me stop from trying to change and do something different. So I got into like trying to live, you know, the corporate world and got a job and did these things um, to educate myself to really be a a father for my child. Um, She was, I was 23 when the judge granted me temporary full custody of her. So at the age of 23, now I'm a full-time father. I wasn't even expecting it. I was just trying to get joint custody and trying to just make sure I was in in her life. And he's like, no, nah, I look like you're a better fit. I'm like, who, me? Like, this person <laughs> had this life. Um, and anyway, that was, I think that was an awakening. Um, several months later was when I had a shift that changed my life forever. And that is... What I want to talk about next, obviously, and that's a huge part of your story. And go ahead and, and tell us what happened a few months later after you got full custody of your daughter. Yeah. Um, January 
2012 is the day, um, which is five days after my 24th birthday. And uh, I was having a verbal altercation um, with a, it was over a girl. So hold on, let me start there. Like literally had a altercation with my ex-girlfriend at that time um, due to me just showing up and she was going in the house with another guy. Um, the male figure never came out the house. So let me let everyone know that. Um, not at that moment when me and her were having an altercation. But what transpired was, um, and I know this because as we go through this journey, you'll learn more, but what transpired was this level of energy that was being projected. And for me, the mindset that I had, yeah, I survived past 21, don't mean that I had got out the mindset. And I was just, I had ego and pride. Um, so I wasn't going to leave because I had every reason that I should have left. Um, but the altercation led to me calling my best friend over just to make sure that I was good because I didn't have no gun, but I felt like it was, that's what I needed to be still. Um, again, this is the mindset. Um, and what happened <laughs> was when my best friend arrived, he actually knew the individual in, inside the home. Um, the individual came out. My best friend talked to him for a second, um, and uh, it was squashed, you know, and, and it was really just like, hey, he's not, bro's not here for you. This is his issue. You just happen to be here. All right. That's what it was. Um, and what happened <laughs> was that there was a, there was the same type of conversation on the other end, but there wasn't a relay and a message that things were resolved. So as this conversation is going on, I'm walking back to my vehicle. And at the moment that I get more to the driver's side of my vehicle, I'm shot, um, which followed another gunshot. Um, and that paralyzed me from the waist down instantly. Aside from the shock, because you were walking away thinking, okay, this is over, I'm walking away, and you feel something, you hear something, and then you don't feel anything in your legs, because you just said that you were paralyzed from the waist down immediately. So you knew instantaneously. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So, okay. To put it in the best way, um, it wasn't like it was complete, like numb feeling, okay. right? Like um, it was, <laughs> I can laugh about it now, definitely. Um, it was that, yes, when the first bullet hit me, it made me turn into the direction of the shooter just mm -hmm. to figure out what happened. The second bullet hit me and my body drops, mm. but my legs in my mind are still up. Okay. So wow. I'm thinking, I can't even figure out this. I felt like I was a V, mm. you know, in reality, like I, like my body was up and then my legs were up. Wow. And um, I remember um, once my best friend was able to get to me because there was a, a gun battle 
mm. within those two um, that kind of led after me being shot. And uh, I just remember saying, um, like, I'm I'm a I'm a die, you know, mm. like I'm about to die. And my best friend's like, I know. I remember this because. Mm. We just didn't have hope. Like you just didn't have. Like it was like okay, it's your time. Like mm. this is what it is. And I'm like, put my legs down. Mm. And he's like, they're already down. So that mm. was like me saying like, oh man, I'm really about to die then, right? Mm. So I knew something had happened, but I couldn't put words to it because I never tried to get back up. Mm. The Every I was shot twice in my abdomen, so there was no way that I was able to like I felt winded, mm-hmm. um, and I don't know. It just I, I really, as I think about it, like I never just thought like let me stand up. Mm-hmm. I was just already. I was just maybe I was just ready to die. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I, I crazy, but mm-hmm. literally never wow. considered standing up to go to know that the legs didn't work as much mm-hmm. as I was just like. Everybody going to pray around me, and this is just Mm. what it is. Mm. Wow. At that point, would you say that you had lived a life in depression or just hopelessness from your circumstances? I mean, I know you've talked a lot about there wasn't hope. There was nothing to look forward to, but there were no role models. So which of those would you say it was, or was it a combination of all of that? Um, I mean, I think that I was going to live a life that, you know, lacked remembrance. Mm. Um, I, I, I was definitely hopeless at that, at that time. Like maybe I, I had a little bit because of my daughter, mm-hmm. you know, and that could have had pivoted and changed more and more of me over time. But I hadn't changed really my ways, my attitude, my mentality. Mm. Um, and as I say, a lot of it came from just, I don't want to even say it was depression as much as it was just like low self-esteem. Mm-hmm. Like no one taught me how to be empowered and proud of my blackness. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you're in society and you're judged by everybody because of the color of your skin, you start to look at yourself in a mirror as a problem. Mm. And for me, what was I proud of when I looked in the mirror if everyone else wasn't? Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how I would say that I was I was leaving or mentally leaving that day was mm. defeated, defeated mm. by not living up to, I guess, society's expectations to make me proud of myself. Mm. After you were shot and it became clear that you were paralyzed from the waist down. How was that period of time um, following the shooting? The beginning of recovery. Mm -hmm. Wasn't the easiest. I went, you know, a time just thinking that I was like a success story. Mm. (laughs) Right? Like, um... Like I, like the miracle was going to happen, okay. right? Like that, that was definitely me. Um, waking up and the process of recovery was 
for the doctors or nurses to come in and actually wait uh, several days to see if anything came back before they actually told you what happened. Okay. Right. And so for me, I really didn't know that I was like just going to be this way the rest of my life. So every day that they would come in and touch and feel, it gave me hope. So Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, man, I'm about to be this miracle. Mm -hmm. Obviously, they know something I don't know. Right. And um, because of that, once they finally told me, I just... I lost the hope and faith that life even mattered. There was no reason for me to live now knowing that I was about to to have to live a life that I knew nothing about. Like there was no awareness around a person with a disability or just even a person in a wheelchair for me that was positive or empowering just from the everyday person. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about someone that's in the Olympics or in sports, right? I'm talking yeah. about your everyday person. Yeah. There wasn't a positive image of that. And so for me, I didn't know if I, you know, was supposed to like, how could I love this when I didn't love myself before? And now you got me in a position that, once again, not only am I facing how society sees me as a black man, now I got to deal with them mm. seeing me as a disabled man, mm. right? Like, and yeah. the, the way that they view is the way that I perceived before my injury, right? And so now that I know how people perceive, because I soaked that perception up too, I'm looking at myself the same way. Mm. And because of that, I I wasn't excited to recover. Like I remember just, you know, I would wake up and go downstairs and the therapy and rehab, but what I took in was just enough for me to go back. Right, like I didn't go above and beyond with my recovery because I had already got the mentals, became had this mental state that I was going to be a dependent. Mm. And so, if I'm going to be a dependent, why should I even be doing mm. any of this stuff? Yeah. You've already taken my house away from me when I was in a hospital, I was staying on my mm. own doing these things. My job is already questioning if I can go back. Um, all of these things are now about to hit me, so why should I even have hope? Mm. So I think the beginning process was lack of hope um, existing and wanting more people to show me that it was okay before I felt it was okay for myself. Mm. I've read a lot of things that have been written about you and during that time, it was about a two year recovery time frame. Is that yep. accurate? And that you said that, you know, depression was a real thing for you at that time. <laughs> um, you talked about the hopelessness. I mean, I, yeah, it seems very real. Did you ever consider um, have suicidal thoughts or think about taking <clears throat> your life? I mean, <sighs> I absolutely did, you know, like I felt like the suicidal thoughts come 
a lot when you feel like a victim to a situation. You know, um, being shot is a hard thing to accept when you survive. Yeah. Um, is it the survivor's guilt? I don't know what it is, but, um, or is it just the lack of being able to accept this new life? Um, but all of those things made me not want to live. Mm. Like, why do I want to live? Mm. Uh, like, I mean, I never attempt. Well, I would definitely say I attempted, but I never pulled the trigger. Um, I still had my daughter to think of. Mm. Uh, and I think that was a lot of what kept me driven, probably the, the, the thing that allowed me to be who I am today is that I, I had this little, little girl. Mm -hmm. You know, she wasn't older where she creates this uh, resent based on society as well, right? Like, um, instead, she was just learning and me being able to to know, you know, that I chose this responsibility. I chose this to be strong, as I think is kind of the thing that I did to help with those days that I wanted to end it all. Mm. Were you receiving any counseling or therapy during your recovery to help you with the depression and the suicidal ideation? Was that a joke? No, it's a serious <laughs> question. <laughs> oh wow, that's so that's funny. Uh, only reason why I ask that is I know it was serious. Yeah, but um, there's a huge issue with black individuals that acquire disabilities due to some type of violent act, um, um, and that's outside of those that you know acquire it due to a, a accident mm -hmm. um, of some sort. But I've to this day I've not had a physician or anyone recommend any mental health services. Wow, to me. are you serious? Like. It's been 11 years. I actually wow. started to be more vocal about it this year because yes. as I'm witnessing, because we could, we're going to go into my own self-healing journey because it was all mm. self. Mm. But as I talk to more and more individuals that have faced some of the same challenges that I have, it's disheartening to know that they don't have any professionals that will see them because you have a lot to unpack when yeah. you're dealing with a black man that's been shot through something. Now you can't just talk to me about being black. You got to help me unpack yeah. the victim mentality as well as unpack something. It's layers. Yeah. Let's put it there. Sure. And with those layers that I found, most people don't want to help. Right, mm -hmm. like they only know the gra the ground and the surface, but when you go into people that have been marginalized for so long, there's deep rooted mm -hmm. that you have to go, and so even people that are from my background sometimes can't serve completely because they don't have the understanding of disability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I've learned that. I'm not saying that it shouldn't still be provided but again not at all maybe my platform to this day has gave me opportunities to work with mental health professionals but there was never like a, a 
Instead, I got referred a lot to pain management uh, doctors. Mm, wow. <laughs> Which couldn't create a whole another set of problems or issues, right? Well, for me, I you know, my let's just go into that then. Yeah. Like what 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 helped me truly get out of that mindset of being defeated, you know, and yeah, how did I become more? <laughs> like mm. how did I heal yeah. how did i heal mentally without help yeah food mm. is the the first way to sum it up okay. see when i was growing up i was i'm i'm five five um when i let's say when i got injured i was about 225 pounds and i kind of got up to about 250 so i'm overweight in a wheelchair I never really understood that being overweight was something that was an issue for me. Um, I thought I was big boned. I joke about it now, but again, these are terms that you use to make yourself feel comfortable. And I was big boned. And with being big boned, I, I was never active. I was never anything. So acquiring this disability, well, now I'm facing not being active, but have a two, three-year-old daughter, mm. right? Running around, she loves to swim, she wants to go to the park, I can't do none of this. Mm. I didn't get better from this mindset, I got worse. Mm. So I end up, after my first year, I end up getting a, what they call a pressure ulcer. And for a lot of people that might not know, it's just when you sit too long mm. or you something applies pressure to a certain part of your skin, it creates a sore. You really want to go and attack that right away. But for me, because it was new, that first one was new, I, did, I wasn't aware. I just thought, oh, this is a sore. You know, mm. it's going to heal. Everything else heals. Well, it never healed. Mm. Um, and so it ended up becoming like a stage four sore where I was put on bed rest. So I ended up being on bed rest for two years. Mm. Two and years. so within this two-year bed rest, it went from maybe a couple hours a day to 21 hours a day. So, of course, I'm depressed. I'm dealing with all this, but now I'm on bed rest. So now I'm either going to focus on taking my life or I got to focus on getting better. And obviously taking my life as the times that I tried never worked. So I wasn't just going to keep trying. Mm. I had hope. This is the first of a two-part series with Wesley Hamilton. My conversation with Wesley will continue on episode 12, which will be available on Tuesday, December 5th. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, and share these episodes. And thanks again for listening to the Just a Mom podcast. If you or someone you know is struggling with suicidal thoughts or ideation, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. If you found this podcast helpful, please subscribe and leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, please share this with your friends and anyone you think may find these interviews helpful. Thanks again for listening to Just a Mom.